Again, especially for the direction of our, our guests that may not know this, in your service folder there's a gold sheet. And uh, if you'd like to use that to follow along with the sermon message uh, or the message, you're very much welcome to. And I also in, always invite you to take that home if you'd like to for the Bible reading on the backside or the Bible study. Dear friends, the uh, most popular book in our country over the last year, year and a half, is a, a small little book with a yellow cover entitled Heaven is for Real. It's uh, spent the last 55 weeks and counting on the top of the New York Times bestsellers list. How many of you have read Heaven is for Real? Raise your hand. All right, good. So, so here's why, in part, it's on the top of the bestsellers list, right? People have read it. They enjoy it. And if you haven't read it or haven't heard about it, let me give you a quick synopsis. Um, it's about a four-year-old boy named Colton who was very close to uh, death. And in fact, he slipped out of consciousness and ended up cl claiming to have spent some time in heaven. Now, I know right away we kind of get skeptical about that, right? At least that's our, probably our initial reaction, skepticism. And, that was my reaction, and in fact, that was the reaction of his parents, too, a little bit skeptical. But what sort of encouraged them about this as maybe being true is that some of the things that Colton told them that were just unexplainable. For instance, he described in heaven meeting his great-grandfather, and he said that his name was um, Pop, which would have been obviously a nickname. And the thing is, is that while he shared this with his, his parents, his parents had never ever mentioned to their three or four year old that he had a great grandfather whose name was Pop. Another thing he described was meeting his sister in heaven, spending some time talking to his sister. Again, very weird because his parents had had a miscarriage earlier in their marriage, but they had never told Colton about it, nor would a three year old really understand likely what a miscarriage is anyway. He talked about, Colton did, about how he sat on God the Father's lap and spent some time there about what Jesus' face looked like, seeing the Holy Spirit do his work, and a whole bunch of other things. And this is why this book, in many ways, becomes a little more believable. Now, whether it is real or not, only God knows. But it could be. Yet the reason I bring it up this morning is because I think this book's popularity says something about us. It says something about people who are here on this earth, and that's this. That even if we are people of faith, we still wonder. We still would like to see with our eyes what for now we can only see with our hearts. We don't mind, even if we are believers, we don't mind if God would send us more proof, more proof of things that we can't see, like heaven and like forgiveness. And all those things. And in fact, different people are different places when it comes to this belief and understanding. For instance, some of you who are here today maybe haven't come to church for quite a while, or maybe, maybe never. And a friend or a relative invited you, and you're kind of even surprised that you're here. First thing I'd like to say is, we're glad that you're here. Secondly, you might have a bunch of questions. A bunch of questions that maybe are in part the reason why you haven't come to church regularly. On the other end of the spectrum, uh, there's a bunch of people I know here 
who have a very strong faith. In fact, I am encouraged by their faith and trust. And yet, even in that sense, still, there are times where we would like just a little more proof, just a little more encouragement and strength. Now, in this series, how does this get us to Easter? Well, Easter is huge. It may not be the biggest holiday in the secular world, and in some ways, I'm kind of glad about that. But it is the, the biggest day of celebration when it comes to being a Christian. And in fact, one that I pray that we remember every day, not just one day a year. And here's, here's why. Because our salvation and heaven has everything to do with Jesus coming to die for sinners like you and me, and that he would not just die, but that he would have the power to rise again from the grave. In fact, if I could read these words again, they're not on the screen, but I'll read them. 1 Corinthians, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's worthless. You're still in your sins. You see, reading heaven is for real, is just fine to do. And in fact, I'd recommend it. But if you're someone who's searching for trust and confidence about what's going to happen in the next life through books like this or a, a book of a four-year-old story, I have something much better. I have for you and for all of us today, for our encouragement, I have Easter. And over the next five weeks, we're going to look exactly what the Bible says about Easter and some of the events that came after it in this series called Proof. So today we're going to turn actually to Luke chapter 24. And what I'd like to do is, for some of us, maybe we haven't really dug into that section that closely. And for some of us, it might even sound a little bit, especially if you're new to the Bible, like a fairy tale of some sort. I want to show you that it's not and gain our confidence in that empty tomb. So we turn to Luke 24, but before we get there, we're going to look at a few verses in Luke chapter 23 to kind of set up Easter. So it's still Friday afternoon. Jesus died at about 3 p.m., and so the events that I'm going to read about happened probably a half hour, an hour after that, okay? And we turn to chapter 23, verse 50. There was a man named Joseph a member of the council, that would be the, the group of people who uh, ordered Jesus to be uh, crucified. And he was a good and upright man who had not consented to the decision of the council and their action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. That is, he was waiting for the Savior. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. So, Friday afternoon... Jesus dies. Joseph and also a man named Nicodemus, they go and they ask for Jesus' body. They wanted to give him a dignified burial. Now, they weren't able to do all that would normally happen. Listen to the next verse. It says, Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. Normally, the Jews, what they would do is they would take a body and they would wash it thoroughly so it was all clean, ceremonially, physically. Then they would wrap it in a cloth and they would sort of anoint or just cover it with spices. But the problem is, Joseph and Nicodemus didn't have time to do that. And this all goes back to why the women were coming on Easter morning. Listen to the next verse. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. So on Sabbath, which was the Saturday, 
Jewish law said you couldn't work. You couldn't handle a dead body. That was you know, part of those rules and laws. And so Friday was called preparation day. Some of you had preparation day yesterday for today because you didn't want to work today. You wanted to spend time with your family, right? Every week for the Jews, Friday was preparation day because they could not work on Saturday. Preparation day ended and Sabbath started at 6 o'clock in the evening the night before. So Joseph and Nicodemus had from about 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock to do all this stuff. And they ran out of time to do all of the spice stuff. Verse 55, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, they followed along with Joseph and saw the tomb. They saw how his body, Jesus' dead body, was laid in it. Then they went home, and they prepared spices and perfumes. Why? Because they saw Jesus dead. They knew, thought, on Sunday, Jesus would be dead. But they first rested on the Sabbath in obedience to that commandment. There are those who look at accounts like Easter, and maybe you're not one of them, but you know people, maybe you are one of them, that wonder, is this some sort of a, a, a fairy tale or a made-up story? Something written by Jesus' followers to sort of save face in the midst of a very traumatic experience of their leader dying. One of the things that you need to understand is that this is not written at all like a made-up story. What I mean by that is if you're a follower of Jesus who's going to write about what happened on Easter, if it was made up and you're just making it up anyway, would you write well about yourself or would you make yourself look bad? I think all of us would make ourselves look great. So if it was made up, Here's how it would go, don't you think? They'd write something like this. Joseph and Nicodemus put the body in the tomb, and then we held a vigil. And we stayed there all Friday night, all Saturday, all Saturday night. And in faith, we knew Jesus would rise again. And we prayed and we prayed, dear God, please raise him from the dead. And then that morning, the ground started to shake. And like kind of a shuttle countdown... We all together started counting down 10, 9, and the soldiers fled 8, 7, and the seal broke 6, 5, and the tomb opened and no one was there. And we all did fist bumps and chest bumps and, you know, had a great time because Jesus lives just as we always believed. But in the biblical account of Easter, there are no heroes of faith, only Jesus. They write about it truthfully. They thought Jesus was dead. And they did not understand, really, that Jesus would rise again. As much as it hurts, because we still remember it today, they wrote truthfully about themselves. And that they were without hope. And that the ladies, they didn't stick around. They went home. And they got spices together, not for the Easter breakfast, but to anoint a dead body just as they thought. And you can imagine that Sunday morning, they wake up, and before they open their eyes, maybe they're thinking, Dear Lord, please make all that just happened. Can that just be a dream? When I open my eyes, can Jesus still be alive? And then they open their eyes, and 
they thought he was still dead. They still filled with hopelessness. But you can never, could never relate to something like that, could you? Truth is, we can, can't we? There's been mornings in your life a year ago, a day ago, ten years ago, that you thought to yourself, Dear Lord, when I open my eyes, can you make what I think happened tomorrow or yesterday just a big old dream? And then you wake up, you open your eyes, and you realize, no, that's reality. My job is still in jeopardy. I still struggle with depression. My marriage has its issues. The kids give me a run for the money. School is difficult. I or a loved one still have that disease. My mom or my dad, my spouse, is still not with me. The truth is, is that we can understand hopelessness. We can understand exactly how those ladies felt that morning as they thought that the tomb was still filled and that Jesus was still dead. And in those moments, because by nature, we don't trust God, by nature, we get upset with God. We might think that God has turned his back on us. We might think that God is dead in a sense, that he doesn't love us, that he doesn't, that God's care is dead. And in those moments, because of our sinfulness, we might even turn our backs on him for a season, for a day, for a few years. But the thing I want you to understand is even though we are prone as sinners to do that, you need to understand because of Easter, we never need to turn our back on us, on, on God. We never need to turn our back on God. Turning our backs on God never leads anywhere good. Without God, there's no hope. Without God, there is no future. But without, with God, there is something else. And that's what the women found at the tomb. Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women then took those spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. We find historically that these uh, stones would have been kind of like a big old wagon wheel, and there's a trough that they kind of rolled back and forth, back and forth. We're not sure, but the word here used in Greek for rolled away seems to have more of an emphasis than just kind of rolled back, like rolled away. Like it wasn't even in the trough anymore. Like a miracle happened that just blew that rock out into the woods somewhere, it would seem. Verse 4, while they were wondering about this, um, the women still don't quite get it. There's no one in the tomb. They're still wondering, am I in the right tomb? <laughs> I thought this is where Jesus was laid. They still don't get it. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, they were angels, stood beside them, and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. For those of you that have a little bit of familiarity with the Bible, you know that Jesus sort of predicted that he would have to die and rise. And sometimes we are wondering, like, 
What were the disciples thinking? I mean, why was this such a, a new thing for them? Here's what the disciples were going through. You know, when Jesus would talk about these things, I think the disciples were like little kids with their fingers in their ears. You know, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, la, 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 la. And the reason why is because this, first of all, is not something they wanted, so why would they listen? And secondly, it's not something they believed could happen. They saw Jesus heal people, raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw Jesus when a whole bunch of people wanted to kill him in Nazareth to walk right through him. Who's going to hurt Jesus? I'm not listening, I'm not listening. But, listen to verse 8. After the women heard the, these angels talk, it says, Then they remembered his words. And they're beginning to put it all together. They're beginning to see what the empty tomb means and that Jesus needed to rise from the dead. Verses, verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. They knew exactly where they were because they were exactly where the women had left them, scared in a room somewhere. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. <laughs> but they didn't believe the women because their words seemed like, to them like nonsense. Yeah, you can understand. On the other hand, I mean, we name churches after these guys, right? St. John, St. Matthew. I mean, aren't these guys supposed to be people that always have it all together? Aren't they supposed to be people that always have hope? No. They're more like us at times. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up. He ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what happened. Now, these linens that are mentioned often um, in John as well, it's quite interesting. Uh, you have to understand, this is significant, because if you think about a body that's been wrapped just after it died, and especially after it was crucified, I'm not going to go into all the gross details, but you can expect a lot of fluids, right, coming from the wounds. A very icky, gross thing. If you're a thief, let's say, and you wanted to steal a body, you would not first take off the grave clothes. And that's the whole point, why Luke mentions it, why John mentions it. Those claws were there for your faith. <coughs> Proof of what happened. Even nicely folded, John writes. Because it wasn't that Jesus' body was stolen. It wasn't that Jesus, you know, never died. It's that he did die. But he had risen from the dead. And it says Peter wondered, not so much in like, hmm, I don't know what to think. Again, the Greek means more like in wonderment. He was starting, God was in his heart to put things together, things that would be proven to him even more later. We'll talk about that next week with Thomas and doubting Thomas. Starting to put things together of the empty tomb. So let's recap. They know Jesus is dead. They go to the tomb, and not just the fact that it's empty, but all of these things, the angels, the stone rolled far away, the claws lying there. And now they have hope. And in fact, this hope is so big and so huge for them that it takes this group of scaredy cats locked in a room and they become some of the most brave Christians who've ever lived that are willing to 
many of them be martyred for their faith because they saw the empty tomb and it was part of their proof that Jesus lives and they have hope. <laughs> so what about us? I hope you find yourself in these followers a little bit. Because the truth is, we don't always understand things either. We may not always understand exactly what's going on. But the empty tomb gives you and me hope in any and every circumstances. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's not hope like, you know, after a 2 and R, O start, or O and 2 start, I hope the twins make the playoffs, okay? It's not hope like that. Or it's not hope like, I hope I win the Mega Millions jackpot, or for one McDonald's worker, I hope I find the ticket, you know, that I say has the right numbers on it, but no one believes me because I can't find the ticket. <laughs> it's not like I, I hope that my retirement goes well because you're not sure about that either. The hope of Easter is this confidence in the future, a trust in the future that brings confidence to your present. A trust in the future that brings confidence and peace to your present. And that is what we have through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We don't wear lavender because guys like it, right? We don't buy dresses because we just want to look nice. It's because we have hope. Hope that can last forever. As we close, I can't help but think how odd the question of the angels must have sounded to those ladies on Easter. <clears throat> so they come to the tomb, and the angel asks what? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for a living person at the cemetery? And if I were one of the ladies, I would have said, I'm not looking for the living among the dead, right? I'm looking for the dead among the dead. I'm looking for someone who's dead. That's why we go to cemeteries, is to remember and find people that are dead. I saw him put in, be put in the grave. I have come with these pile of spices because he's dead. Still today, I don't know who it is for you, but trips to the cemetery aren't easy. And then sometimes we have, find great despair there because we can find the dead amongst the dead. But the truth is, is that because of Easter and because of Christ, every time we go to a cemetery, I'd like you to change your thinking and to remember that question of the angels and to remember you are coming to see through faith in Christ the living among the dead. Maybe not now, but someday cemeteries everywhere will be filled with living people and empty tombs. And you can have confidence in that, not because a four-year-old says he went to heaven, but because that first tomb was empty. Amen. Please stand.